Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Talking Politics. I'm your host Nick, and uh, today we have a great conversation with Travis. He is the nonprofit architect of the show, Nonprofit Architect. Check out his podcast after the show. Uh, we have a good conversation about student loan debt, gun control, and a variety of issues. So please uh, enjoy the show and share it with a friend. Hey, how's it going, Travis? Doing great, Nick. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thank you for coming on. Uh, for people who haven't listened to your show before, explain your show and introduce yourself a little bit. Oh, so I'm the nonprofit architect. I run a podcast called The Nonprofit Architect, helping you build a stronger nonprofit, where we interview people in the nonprofit space and people in the business world that have skills relatable to nonprofits. And we cut through kind of the BS and give you actionable steps to help make your nonprofit a better, stronger, more profitable place to be. Even though you're not really making money, it's really a business. Well, yeah, that's actually something that I don't think a lot of people know that a nonprofit, there's people who work for the nonprofit who do make money. Absolutely. So today I, I asked for some guests and you offered to come on the show to talk politics. So where do you think you lie politically? So my, my journey into politics is really kind of a strange one. I grew up in trailer parks and foster homes and the vast majority of my life was trying to, uh, trying to figure out how to survive really just in survival mode. And it wasn't until a few years ago for the 2016 election, uh, a friend of mine kind of challenged me. He's like, so who, uh, you know, who you're voting for? And I was like, oh, they're all, all the same, right? They're all, they're all equally worthless. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but do you know where they stand? Do you know what their positions are? Do you know what, uh, you know what they, they intend to do? And I was like, I really had no idea. He kind of called me on my, called me on my BS and I didn't know, I didn't know where I stood. So I followed uh, the Democrats, the Republicans, the Libertarians, and I followed a bunch of the candidates, he even ended up buying a few of their books to kind of see where they were and really kind of discovered that America is in kind of a mess. And not the fact that we can't, you know, get along or things aren't going well or, Really, we, we're in a mess because we can't really talk about politics and where we stand. There was some event that happened where we, we drew the line that saying, it says, if you talk about this stuff, well, then I can't talk to you ever. Uh, and it was very interesting. And what I found is I probably fall more on the conservative side of most things, um, but definitely, definitely open to a lot of views, big fan of big fan of grace and understanding that I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. So for this upcoming 2020 election, do you know who you're going to vote for yet? Or are you still waiting? Well, I'm still waiting. Uh, the last person I voted for was Gary Johnson because I was dedicated to voting for someone and not just against someone else. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was the best use of my vote. And I know there's, uh, 
politic uh, pundits out there that says it's just a wasted vote. But let's be honest, I, I couldn't uh, couldn't vote for Hillary based on the way she handled classified material. If you know what the mm-hmm. definition of top secret is, it's exceptionally grave danger, which means any detail of that that gets out is you know puts people's lives in danger. And she casually did that 110 times, something like that. And uh, I was living in Oklahoma during the last election and voting for Trump just seemed like piling on, uh, piling on the vote. And if I wanted to get some kind of different conversation in the country, I felt it for Gary Johnson, even though he had the Syria gaffe, which is a poorly worded question, kind of was blindsided, but whatever. The media ran with that to try to run him out of the election. They did a, a fine job doing that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I currently haven't seen the left produce anybody that makes any sense. And I have a really hard time trying to make <laughs> trying to make sense. And I don't understand the things they're saying. There's some of the some of the policies and, and things that they say are very interesting. But then the reasoning behind it, you're like, what are you even talking about? Is that a real thing? Is that what is that? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the candidates come out with some big proposal. You're like, sounds like a good idea. Explain it some more. And then you're like, you kind of lost me there. Right. It's- so let, let's say, take the education deal. I know, I know Bernie Sanders is trying to wipe away everyone's student debt. Yeah, I've worked my tail off my whole life and got into a job, a career field where they offered to pay for my schooling. And then further down the road, they offered to pay for my master's and the rest, you know, the little pieces that weren't covered, I paid out of my own pocket. And when Bernie Sanders ran last time, I got kind of upset because I had learned about the different things that programs that people offer. And like, how on earth are these people supposed to be smart, go to college, but can't figure out how to pay off for student loans. I was like, well, what does it take to get to school for free? And how can the average person do that? And inside of half an hour, maybe 40 minutes, I found out that there's a dozen free schools in America. I found out that also all the military academies are free. I also found out that if you make less than 48 grand a year, all the Ivy League schools, provided you qualify for them, give you free room and board, free tuition, and free meals. If you make less than 60 grand a year, you get free tuition. If your parents make 60 to 120, there's some percentage of their income that you're charged. And if they make over 120, you're paying the full deal. If you want to do something like a military ROTC, you can go to Yale and have your tuition covered. If you go to Finland, Germany, Iceland, and France, you can go to school for free. You don't have to be a resident and they teach in English. So just, those are just for the free ones, right? That's just, mm-hmm. those are just gimmies. They're not gimmies, right? You got to qualify for them, but they're gimmies. But then you have things like Scully and FastWeb, and I'm sure one or two other apps where you put in your demographics and it spits out this whole list of every scholarship that you qualify for, and you just have to apply. There was a gal, oh shoot, her name is escaping me right now. I want to say her name was Michelle. I can't remember her last name, but she had a full ride. She had a sports scholarship. And then between her junior and senior year, she got in a car wreck 
and they took away her scholarships. Well, she used that story and she applied to all these different scholarships. And by the time she was done with her senior year, she was awarded $152,000 in scholarships. Yeah. So the options are out there. (laughs) (laughs) There's the options are literally endless, literally endless. When I went to college in 2010 and I was almost 30 at the time I went, so don't go try to calculating my age based on 2010, there was $400 million of unused scholarships in the U.S. Yeah, there's an outrageous amount. I think when it comes to the student loan debt, we'll call it a debate or whatever, I think for a lot of conservatives, I think they view it as more of a individual responsibility you need to be responsible in yourself so right you know not saying don't go to college but figure out a different way than signing getting a student loan from a bank at the age of 18 where you don't know very much i feel like you need to know better than to just sign twenty thousand dollar loans per semester when there's other options out there Oh, there, there's tons and there's all these different companies that offer to pay for, for school. Maybe you've heard of some of them, Walmart, Starbucks, McDonald's, I'll pay you to go to college. If you work at Lowe's or Home Depot, they pay you to go to trade school because they want experts working for them. And I'm not sure if there's an obligation to continue on at the company after these degrees are obtained. That would be something you'd have to look into. But uh, I've been in Oklahoma City, and they have a partnership with the local tech schools that if you sign, you can sign up in high school, go to tech school for a few hours a day, and then graduate high school. And then at 19, you'll be done with tech school. But the tech school is covered. So at 19, you could have some kind of certificate to walk out into a trade, making 40, 50, 60 years plus. And you don't have any school debt. And you're walking out the door making money. Yeah, well, one of the candidates who I've seen talk about that more is uh, Andrew Yang. He's one of the Democrats. He's been saying that we need to prop up tech schools more. I feel like in in our society, we're focusing so much on university, 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 where people just, you grow up thinking, I got to go to college, and no matter what it takes, and then they're going to pay a bunch of money instead of maybe tech school is better for you. Well, you, you have to know what your end goal is, right? You have mm-hmm. to start with the end in mind. If you're gonna be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, dentist, something that requires that specific paper, then by all means do that thing. If you were doing gender studies or psychology without planning on becoming a counselor, licensed professional counselor, psychologist or psychiatrist, chances are you're just throwing your money away. Just go into it understanding that you're taking these classes as a hobby, that they do not translate directly into some kind of career field. Now, I got a degree in multidisciplinary studies, which by itself is, is nothing. It's, it's, it's not trash, but really it's the lowest, right, for, for your degree out there. It's just kind of take whatever you want. We'll call it a degree. Go ahead. I got that degree specifically because I got a promotion at work for having it, and it was a massive promotion. Now, if it wasn't, if it didn't have that kind of back end to it, 
I wouldn't have done it. Right. Mm -hmm. I am talking to a gal on Facebook right now. She finished her undergrad. I'm not sure what she, what she studied in her undergrad, but she was saying, Hey, how about a master's? You know, what do y'all think? Should I go right into a master's? And I said, well, it depends. Like depends on, you know, who's paying for it and, and what this translates to in the, in the career world. We've been conditioned to believe that the degree is the answer. And I don't know that that's true. If you look at some of the most innovative minds we have in America, not all of them have degrees. And if you look at the pay scale, the people making the most money or people that are really successful are in business, in which case a degree is not required. Well, you have to get the learning, you have to get the education. You, you do, but you can get it on Udemy or YouTube for free, or you can hire a coach, or you can go download the Harvard Business School reading list and you can buy all the books or rent the books or get the Audible or mm -hmm. listen to them on YouTube for vastly reduced prices or free. Companies like Google no longer require degrees to be hired. They don't care about the piece of paper. They want a certification. They want your specific skills to come into their company in order to make it successful. A four-year degree doesn't teach you that. An MBA doesn't show you how to start a business. An MBA shows you how to operate in a Fortune 500 world. But if you think an MBA is going to help you, you know, with your garage startup, you're mistaken. Mm -hmm. It doesn't show you that. It's not worth that. Now, if you have a job where the MBA is a springboard to that next position, that senior management, by all means, but don't think you have to go to Dartmouth yeah. <laughs> to up the ladder, right? I have no sympathy for you. College back in the day when it was, you know, $2,000 a year and they give you a gentleman C, it was for networking. And at the time, right, I'm not saying I believe in this, but at the time, a lot of the ladies went to go find a husband. Well, there's a, there's a lot of videos out there of uh, like Mark Cuban, Elon Musk, all those guys that you, you, you've heard of, obviously, everyone's heard of them. It's extremely successful. All of them are constantly saying that college isn't necessarily important. And they mentioned what you just said, connections. Connections is what is one of the best things you can get from college. Other than that, most people go there wasting their time. I think, I think that's why we have so much student loan debt in the country. It's because a lot of people go there, get a degree that they still don't know that they want to do, and then they end up in a pickle. And then that's how we get someone like Bernie Sanders proposing student loan debt. Well, I think it's really twofold. So I don't remember the year, right? But not too long ago, the federal government said everyone should go to college, and they decided to back student loans. Mm -hmm. They won't give you a, a car loan at 18 with no credit by yourself but they're okay signing you up for the cheapest college I can think of is like 10 grand a year for a four year school. Now they're okay signing you up for $40,000 in debt for potential earnings, but not a car to get you to and from class. You know, they won't give you a business loan. And as soon as the federal government decided to back these student loans, universities understood that they had a guaranteed payday, no matter what their rates were, people were going to continue to go because it was a hundred percent that they were going to be able to secure student loans and get students in their pipeline 
And then the school name as a brand became more important than actually the lessons that were learned. So once they decided to back student loans, you can go ahead and if you're listening to this, go back and look through you know, college, uh, college debt prices and college payment prices and see when they started backing it with, and, and you, will, you will discover that tuition has been skyrocketing ever since because they can get away with it. They know 100% that the federal government's can back, yep, we want you to have these student loans. The, the school system, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, is designed to create taxpayers. It's not designed to create free thinking, critical thinking, entrepreneurship, any of those things, because that's not helpful to the government system, which is, which is we currently run. If you want to get ahead in this life, go mow lawns. And some people laugh at me, be like, yeah, you say mow lawns and you think of the, you know, 13 year old mowing lawns trying to save money for a car in a couple of years, right? Well, as grown people, we call them landscapers and they can easily get 200 so thousand dollars of business in the first year or two. And I know a few landscapers that are running in like 1.1, $1.2 million in business a year. And you don't need a college degree for that. You don't need trade school for that. If you're willing to get outside and push a lawnmower and uh, carry a weed whacker, you can make ends meet. No degree required. So you mentioned how when the government started subsidizing these loans and backing the loans, prices skyrocketed. So you think there's, do you think there should have been less government intervention to begin with? Absolutely. How often does government solve the problem? The only thing politicians can do, as far as I can tell, is be good at defining what the problem is and saying that it needs to be different than the guy that's currently running it. And if they can define the problem and tell you that the other guy sucks, they can get elected. It has nothing to do with delivering our promises. Right now, we've got people like Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders who have been in Congress for an ungodly amount of time, and they're blaming America's problems on someone that's been in office for just a few years. If you've been in political office like Joe Biden has for 46 years, what have you fixed? What have you done in these 46? The only bill I can think of with Biden's name on it is the Gun-Free Zone Act. And after that was passed in the early 90s, we started having these school shootings. Because back in the 80s, people used to bring guns to school and they used to teach gun safety and they used to have shooting class after school. But no one talks about that stuff. So we'll switch the topic over to guns. You know how there's mass shootings been going on lately. So where do you stand on the gun control issue? Do you think more regulations? What do you think? Well, if you I could think, fix it right now, what would you do? Or, you know. If I could fix it right now, I would get everyone with a sound mind and sound body a gun. And I say this because it seems to be a little bit more respect going on when you see people carrying firearms. We protect our politicians, our money, our airports, our celebrities with weapons. But for some reason, we're scared to protect our children with weapons. That doesn't make any sense. I think the biggest problem that we have with guns in this country is that the fact that the media only highlights certain things. The media has really got me flustered on this because if 
you are a white guy who's a fan of the right, your whole bio, your social media, and everything else will be online. And if there's a mass shooting, they will talk about you, 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 you. If you're doing a mass shooting and you're, I don't know, who shot up the Orlando nightclub? Was that, uh, that was a, was that a Muslim? I don't remember. Uh, yes. It, he, ISIS took credit for it. it. It was a lone wolf attack. Okay. So as soon as they found out it didn't fit the media's narrative of a right wing nut, according to them, all of a sudden we don't know who the shooter is. All of a sudden we have profiles on the victims. So if he, if it's their narrative, it gets 24 seven coverage for five to 10 days. If it doesn't fit their narrative, like when the black gay guy shot a white reporter on live television, that barely got one day of coverage. When the two teenagers, one of whom was transgender, shot up a place in Colorado, that didn't get coverage. Or if it did get coverage, we heard about the victims and not the shooters. If you're gonna cover mass shootings and say that they're a problem, and I'm not saying they're not a problem, let's, let's get some stats. If you're gonna blame the NRA, and I understand if you don't like the NRA, right? If you're going to blame an organization like the NRA and you have a mass shooting, tell me if the mass shooter has anything to do with the NRA. If he's a card-carrying member of the NRA, then maybe I can start shifting a little bit of blame to the NRA. If not, I don't understand how the NRA can be blamed. Like, oh, well, uh, you know, AR-15s, uh, they're terrible. Virginia Tech shooting was a couple of pistols. In fact, most of the shootings in America are pistols. The problem is not AR-15s. The problem is not anything. It's an inanimate object. It's a, it's a tool that when used properly can be used for good and used improperly can be used for destruction. It's just a tool, but it's based on the person that's using it. If if gun control was, was, the, was a thing that would work, right? Let's take a look at the... Uh, take a look at the war on drugs. How, how has America done on the war on drugs? Terrible. Mm -hmm. We victimized our communities by saying these are all these terrible things. And if you're on some kind of substance, you commit a crime by all means get punished for the crime, but doing something to yourself like that really isn't that harmful to anyone else. I don't really, I don't really believe it should be a crime. Right. But we have all these people in jail. We have one of the highest incarceration rates on the planet. We can't keep drugs out of prison. We can't keep weapons out of prisons. It has nothing to do with the medium in which people are getting hurt. It has to do with the condition of the person. If the person feels the need to do damage, then they're going to drive a van full of fertilizer in their federal building and blow it up. So or they're going to, be drunk drivers and fly around and kill each other. Mm -hmm. So why do you think there has been an increase in mass shootings and like more of what like we saw? I, I think it's been since Columbine, you've seen more and more of these shootings. Why do you think? Well, well first off, in Columbine, they, they, they covered it way too much. And you had these massive in-depth profiles on the shooters. 
I think it's kind of a way to gain significance, right? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't see people, uh, you know, suicide by cop is a thing, but that's not the primary thing, right? If these people wanted to die, they would go shoot up a police department, and they would get fired upon, and they would be dead. They're not interested in that. And I had a friend of mine, and this is this is kind of you know off the cuff, but she was like, "Well, you don't see you don't see women." doing mass shootings. I'm like, of course not. You focus all your rage on the one person that hurts you, right? You don't blame everybody. But the common denominator with these mass shootings is lack of a father in the home. And we do a terrible job. We're at the place in the society where a few policies have helped destroy the American family, one of which being welfare, one of which being abortion rights and the sexual revolution have destroyed the family. We are now we have had a generation of single parents have raised a generation of single parents. You're like, you know what? If he doesn't treat you right or this and that, or whatever the thing is, you just go ahead and leave him. I raised you and you turned out fine. It's no big deal. And I don't have anything against single parents, but I do believe people need that balance that a mother and a father bring. And I understand there's situations where that is, uh, that's a terrible idea based on, you know, who the person is, but this, this false, this false veil of toxic masculinity is, is really an absence of masculinity. And a masculinity is really standing up for what's right. It's really putting out the people first. And this idea that masculinity is toxic is nonsense. It's really the, the absence of masculinity. But we have this society where we talk about healthcare, and healthcare is not healthcare. What we call healthcare is really sick care because we treat the sick, but we don't help prevent the sickness. We don't talk about communication. We don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about mental health. And we certainly don't do any of this stuff in grade school or growing up. We're, we're not taught how to communicate or express ourselves. So when we are frustrated, especially as young people, we don't know how to handle it. We don't know the importance of eating right and working out and sleep and meditation and how all that works together to maintain this body. We had this massive shift from the rural and farmland into the city. And along with that came the shift in mental health because we are not putting in a hard day's work. If I have a ranch and I have a broken fence, I can go out and replace the fence post and string up the wire and fix the fence. I'm outside in the air getting vitamin D. I have a straightforward task, which might be kind of a pain, but I have put sweat back into the earth, back into the job. And that gives me accomplishment. We have far too many people sitting at a desk all day with no real end in mind. And all these little tasks, all these little projects might have a deadline, but really there's no end to the tasks. There's no end to the projects. And once you reach one deadline, you just have another one looming. You never get ahead. You never have this sense of accomplishment. And we're not putting in this, the same kind of sweat equity to help clear our minds. And because of this, we get focused on things that don't matter. Things like with what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in or what kind of neighborhood you live in. You're concerned about buying those things, but you're not concerned in investing in your community. And the deterioration and willingness to talk about mental health and feelings and communication and 
how to stay healthy, mind, body, soul, and spirit creates a lot of problems. And you take all of that and then you pull the dad out of the home. And then we have single parents on both sides running the other parents into the ground and telling the kids what a piece of crap they think they are and all sorts of other nonsense. God forbid my wife and I ever get divorced, but you better believe it's going to be a dark day in hell before I run my wife into the ground, especially in front of the children. Well, so you mentioned, you mentioned the, the sick care system we got now, how we're not doing enough to prevent mental health. Would you be open to the idea of opening more public mental health institutions? I know we used to have it. I think it was like 50s, 60s, 70s. We had a lot of them and then they stopped getting funding and they've slowly closed more and more down. Right. So full-time mental health care. So where I'm speaking from is my mother suffers from bipolar disorder and I was a child of you know a single parent home. And every time that she got sick and needed health care, mental health care, my sister and I would go live with someone else. I'm on, I'm on move number 49 right now. And 36 of those were before I graduated high school at 17. So I averaged more than three moves a year throughout this time. Sometimes it was, one house to another in the same school district. Sometimes it was different schools. Sometimes it was to foster homes. So I lived in 12 different school districts and went to five foster homes and was really all over the place. But the mental health care system has changed because back in the 50s and 60s, you could have someone committed and the rules were kind of lax and they didn't really understand a lot. And then I don't remember if it was the 70s or the early 80s, but we had this shift. And the shift was you must be a danger to yourself or others in order to be committed without, uh, without your permission. And that's just a fine, that's a fine line in the sand. I understand why it's there. But because of that shift, the quote-unquote need for mental health care facilities plummeted, which in turn plummeted the funding given to such things. But if I did, I did aircraft maintenance for a long time and they said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, you look at something like drug use. We had Portugal not too long ago come out and say they were going to decriminalize drugs. And because of that, their incarceration rate went through the floor and they refunded some of this money back into mental health care and they found that it was a 90% discount taking care of a person as opposed to incarcerating them. And then Norway followed suit and I believe they're doing the same study in Baltimore and they're no kidding. I don't remember the numbers. If I was quoting numbers, I'd just be making them up, but no kidding. It was a 90% savings putting these people in full-time mental health care as opposed to putting them in jail. So in America, you have this fight between the criminalization of drugs and not addressing the mental health care and then not wanting to fund healthcare on the other side. And healthcare is one thing, you know, mental health care is one thing, but actually teaching kids on the way up how to see it, how to communicate their problems, how to identify something in someone else when they're having an off day and having the courage to go approach them and throw your, hug, your arm around them and give them a hug and talk to them and say, hey, what's going on? I noticed you're different today for whatever reason. Let's talk about it. 
And we don't have that. We don't have a push for that. We don't have anyone championing that. All we hear is people that want to put band-aids on something. You know, if someone's got uh, leprosy and their, their whole body's falling apart, and you're like, well, maybe we should get a band-aid that's just a little bit bigger, and maybe that'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. They're not addressing the root cause at all. So, but so still on that topic, so do you think there should be more government funding though? Like maybe change up the standards back to back how they used to be and trying to get more public mental health. Um, I mean, I'm definitely a fan of more funding in the mental health world. I'm definitely a big fan of more awareness and being taught, and, you know, to different uh, at different levels. I'm not saying that children need to learn about schizophrenia and what that is and what kind of a nightmare that is, but being able to recognize when your friends having a having a rough day, or maybe a rough couple of weeks, and being able to talk to them and being able to talk to teachers, be like, "Hey, I think something's going on." and empowering our teachers to take some kind of legitimate action to help step in where need be or to make some kind of phone call or whatever it is. And I'm not suggesting, you know, government overreach into people's lives, but we have to be able to recognize what's going on. Well, yeah, well, we saw it with the Parkland shooting. A bunch of the kids at the school knew who he was. They said he was a weird kid. They said, he was freaky, you know, so a lot, of, and he was, cops were called on him a lot of times as well. That was also a local law enforcement failure, but also it was realized by the students, but yet nothing was still done about it. Right. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could prevent that? Mm -hmm. Having, I mean, let's just say this kid can ne never have access to, to a gun. Let's just say that. Do we honestly believe he's not going to try to hurt other people in some other way? Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, I have to believe that that's true because the, but taking away the, the method doesn't change the condition of his car or change his mental state or what he thinks he's, but he, but the fact that this, this young, young man was not able to get the help he needed or the people around him didn't recognize or if they did recognize weren't able to give him the help he needed or the right person to talk to or whatever that solution is. And I don't, you know, I don't claim to have all the answers here, but it wasn't a gun problem. The only reason I think guns are in politics in this day and age is because I believe they're trying to use the media to control us through fear. Well, yeah, there's a reason they keep talking about quote unquote assault weapon, which <laughs> I don't know what an assault weapon is. It's a, it looks like a rifle to me, and I know that's going to kind of get under someone's skin, but, I mean, any gun used improperly is going to hurt people. Anyone with a little bit of skill can reload, whether they have a 100-round magazine, a 15-round magazine, a 10-round magazine, or a clip. It, if you work on the skill, you can do just as much damage. Well, uh, and – for a lot of these mass shootings, what a lot of people don't realize is, yes, they have an AR-15, which doesn't mean assault rifle. The AR does not mean assault rifle. Right. One, it's armor, armor light 15, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. And then also, they don't just have that. They also have handguns with them, too. 
Right. So can you imagine if all the school doors were locked and you had to show ID and badge in? Can you imagine if there were um, metal detectors? Can you imagine if the teachers were armed? Can you imagine if we employed some of our Persian Gulf veterans and some of our Iraqi freedom and Afghanistan veterans and let them help protect, protect our children? Is that really so bad? Well, they'll be scared because they see people with guns. They know guns exist. They know that most police officers carry a, a firearm. Well, uh, I went to a school in Orange. My high school was Orange County, California, which is and you had a those lot things. of things. Yeah, we had a police officer on our campus. No one was scared of the police officer on campus. They no, they're from the us. Department of. They're in the Department of Public Safety. That's their job. Is to help protect. And the more interactions young people have with police officers, the more they realize how wonderful they are. But when families or groups of people say that cops are bad, or the cops are out to get you, or they're going to kill you, man, that creates problems. I believe that the that, only race we have a problem with in this country is the racism that, that is taught in the home. Well, I feel like one of the arguments that I've never really understood is the argument that people are, or it's mostly left-leaning people are always complaining how bad cops are. And then they also want to say, let's, let's have stricter gun control. And why would you want the only people with guns to be police officers, which you think are so bad? Exactly. I've never, I've never understood. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I was in my journey trying to trying to discover what what politics were, uh, my wife and I took a trip to Hawaii. Actually, we we call it our honeymoon, even though it happened at our our 15 year mark because you know we just couldn't afford to do such things. My wife's not a not a joyous traveler, so she was asleep, and we were flying from San Francisco. And I was talking to the gal next to me. I was like, I was like, would you be interested in talking about this election? And I was like, I understand it's kind of a cringeworthy topic. I understand that we're, you know, you can't really get away from me if we disagree. But uh, I'm new to this thing. and I, I really don't understand a lot. I'd be interested to get someone else's point of view. Would you be interested in talking? And she was like, oh, you know, okay. I was like, let's, let's lay down some ground rules. If we're talking about a candidate then we have to respond about the candidate. We're not responding with, well, the other person did or said this other thing. And I, again, I'm still learning. So I don't really know where I stand on some of these things, but I just like to talk about it. And she, you know, she, she agreed. And she was from, I'd been living in Oklahoma for a few years. Uh, I'm not from, I'm from Minnesota originally, but uh, she was from the Bay area and we, we get talking about guns and she's like, well, I just don't understand why you need a weapon. I was like, okay. I was like, well, someone, let's say someone mugs you, right? And they're 15 feet away and you have the option to give them your purse or you have the option to pull out your firearm and say no. She's like, well, what do I call the police? I was like, well, how long does it take the police to get there? Because even if it's three minutes, there's a chance you could be dead. She's like, well, you know, she kind of just left it off. And she's like, when do you need a weapon? I was like, well, currently I don't feel like I do right now. But when I was in Minnesota, we had one sheriff in the whole county. And it wasn't small. It might take him three hours to get to me. Now, if I have someone on my property that's being a pain, or if I have 
you know, wild animals or wolves attacking, you know, my livestock or, or whatever the case is, like it is a tool worth having, whether it's the protection of life or the protection of property. Don't even get me started on protection from government. If we all seem to forget the, uh, the standoff that happened in Oregon, where we had some armed individuals stand up to the government. And luckily no one was stupid enough to shoot anybody, but the government backed down and let the court system work. And it found out that, you know, the federal government did not have a right to that land, but it was the guns holding the government back that allowed the court system to work. I also asked this gal, she quoted uh, a line from the news, which kind of got me fired up a little bit, but not too bad. She's like, well, a gun's easier to get in a library card. And I said, well, that's an interesting comment. Do you have a library card? She's like, yeah. I was like, well, was it hard to get? She's like, no. I was like, I was like, do you honestly believe it's easier to get a gun than that? And she's like, well, you know, I really don't know. I was like, let me ask you this. The people you hang around with, the people that you talk to, do any of you, do any of you have a gun? She's like, well, no, or I definitely don't think so. I was like, I was like, how about this? What if you and your friends go to Academy or Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever the sporting goods is in your area? I'm not saying buy a gun, but just see for yourselves what it takes to get a gun. Just find out for your own personal edification and knowledge what it might take to purchase a firearm. And she kind of nodded. And I don't know if she did or not. If she yeah. hears this podcast, maybe she'll call in, but uh, I don't know. But I think it's an easy, an interesting exercise. I think that we're so flooded with information as Americans that we have a hard time sifting through these things. And we have so much going on between work and kids and school and obligations. And if you volunteer in the community or you're doing a night class or whatever it is, we all have all these amazing things going on. We have begun to defer our civic responsibilities to these elected officials. And someone comes up in your group and has a good idea and you're like, yeah, you should run for office. And you raw and you champion and support them and they go run for office because you don't have the time, but you're letting him do it on your behalf. And when they mess up, all of a sudden you pull back support and be like, well, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about or he's dumb or whatever the thing is. And you leave them out on the vine to wither. And we've lost our own ability to take up and stand. So we end up just reading headlines and not getting down to the information. And headlines wouldn't be bad if it was 30, 40 years ago where the news was, 90, 95% fact and five to 10% opinion. But I think we've switched. We've got five or 10% news and we've got 90 to 90% of people telling us how we should feel or think about whatever has happened. And the problem I have with that is not that that's not a thing, but the problem I have with that is it's on the news organization. So when someone watches the news, you don't, it's hard to decipher between what is the real story and what they're trying to get you to think about the story or what they're trying to get you to feel about the story. And they blur the lines between story and opinion. And we don't seem to have the time to sift through it all. And I'm not saying uh, there's news stations out there that aren't guilty of this. When I, when I get a good news story, I'm reading 
MSNBC and I'm reading CNN, I'm reading USA Today, I'm reading Fox News, I'm reading Drudge, and I'm trying to find whatever it is to make my own opinion about this thing. And I finally settled, settled on the new paper, which is an email news source. It is like one paragraph about the thing that happened and they have links in there to the full story and I don't get their opinion. I just get the news and it is wonderful. Well, that's why I mostly get my news from Reuters. Reuters is known to be a down the middle. Most of the, 90% of the articles are just straight facts about it and then it ends. No I'm with you. commentary, nothing else to it. Yeah, BBC News Al Jazeera America when they were a thing. Reuters is fantastic. Um, um, USA Today is pretty close. They have a big, bold opinion thing on their section when it's opinion. And then the daily news I'm a fan of because I'm not, I'm not interested in your opinion. Tell me what happened and then let me figure it out for myself. I don't need you to hand walk me to what you think I should believe. Well, another, another big issue I've seen in politics today is that there's a lot of team play it's either you're republican or democrat so fox news is does this cnn msnbc everyone does it the most of americans do it they choose sides and no matter what that's their team and i feel like that's part of the division we see I, you know, I, I, I definitely agree with it. The problem I have is not that someone you know picks a side. I think the problem I have is that we have a hard time having a simple discussion across lines because opinions used to be an opinion. And you sit down and discuss an opinion, whether it was religion, politics, sex, or money, you could talk about something and realize, huh, you know, maybe I didn't see it from their side before, but now I have a new insight. And there's some things that I, I definitely firmly, firmly, firmly believe, but there's other things. I'm definitely open to new experiences, new points of view. And you know, you know what? I haven't thought about that before. Huh. I'm going to do more research into that. I think that's interesting. There's only so many experiences we can have in our lives, but if we surround ourselves only with the people that believe what we believe, we get the, 2016 election results where you had a lot of people that supported Hillary Clinton uh, were very shocked that she lost the election. And I'm not saying she should have won or that she should have lost, but they were completely, they got the wind knocked out of them. They completely got hit in the gut and they had no idea that it was coming. And the, I'll go back to the gal on the airplane. Uh, she was a supporter of Hillary Clinton, and I understand why she might be. Um, and I asked her, I said, do you think Hillary Clinton being president would be good for women? She said, absolutely, without a doubt. I said, well, let me ask you a question. And you might feel a little tacked that this question is kind of designed to be kind of a gut check, not trying to piss you off, but... If she was so good for women, tell me at any of her time in any of these organizations what she has done for women. When she was on the board at Walmart, when she was the first lady of Arkansas, when she was first lady in the White House, when she was a senator from New York or the secretary of state, tell me a single thing that she did for women. Tell me any of her policies. Tell me what the Clinton Foundation did for women. 
and she couldn't answer. And I'm not saying that she hasn't done anything for women. I'm just saying that nobody knows. I don't know. She didn't know, and she supports Clinton. When I go back and look at the things that I was following leading up to the election, eventually I was following Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians, and Hillary Clinton, Gary Johnson, and Donald Trump. And Gary Johnson was saying what he stood for, what he didn't stand for, and how he differed between Democrats and Republicans. Republicans were saying the Republican platform and the things that Trump was doing, and maybe a little bit against Hillary, right? But the thing that kind of shocked me was that the Democrats and Hillary Clinton's page were not talking about Hillary at all. They were talking about anti-Trump. I still to this day couldn't tell you the, the platform that Hillary is running on because she didn't seem like she was running for anything. She was only running against Trump. And I feel like that's a big problem happening now for the Democrats. I feel like the Democrats don't realize that almost 50% of people do support Trump. Having just all anti-Trump, anti-Trump isn't going to win them the election. No, and if they continue with the next one after that and the next one after that, they're not going to do good. How can you blame someone that's only been in politics for five years if or four years if you count the time that he was he was campaigning? How can you blame him for the country's problems? If you look at Elizabeth Warren and Chuck Schumer and anyone in the Democratic Party that has any kind of clout, they have been in office for decades. How is it not their fault that these things haven't been fixed? How can you tell me that being in office for 30 years and these problems are still happening? I don't understand how you can blame anyone but you. And I think, I don't know if I'm going to vote uh, for Trump or the Democratic candidate. I couldn't tell you. But some of the things Trump is doing is, is interesting. I've been overseas for a while and I've been talking to people in other countries. It's interesting to see their opinions. I was in Belize a couple of years ago and I talked to a guy. He's like, I love that President Obama. He's fantastic. I was like, okay, cool. What do you love about him? I was like, that man is not in war. He has nothing to do with it. And I think that's magical. I was like, well, we've been fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan the entire time he's been in office. In fact, he's dropped bombs every single day of his presidency. In fact, he's dropped more bombs than any president in all of history. So much, in fact, that the ammunition depots in McAllister, Oklahoma, started paying overtime because they were running out of bombs. And he was shocked and dismayed. And I think that is the state of the U.S. media, that they were not willing to run stories that showed this side of him. They were only showing the side that they wanted to show. And I ask, uh, I've, I've been in Bahrain for a few months, little country in the Middle East. And I asked them different people what they think and talked to some New Zealanders and they were like, Oh, Trump's a clown, you know, and I can definitely see how they would feel that way. And I talked to a man that lives in Bahrain. He's from Egypt. I said, what do you think? He's like, I hate Obama. I was like, why do you hate Obama? Because he supports Iran, give him all this money and Iran is our enemy. I was like, well, what do you think of Trump? He says, I love Trump. He says, screw Iran. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's just it's hilarious, but it's, it's so interesting to see what everyone's opinion of, of this man is. And it's the, only, it's the only branch of the federal government that has a single face on it, which makes it so that's good. But the job of, of the president is to enforce the law. 
And I remember a few months ago where he said, we have a crisis at the border. We have problems down here. Conditions are terrible. It's awful. And then the left seemed to say that we have some manufactured crisis. Well, if you looked around the news today, you see that the left is trying to pummel Trump because of what's going on at the border. They're now on board with the crisis that's happening. And he says, you know, we need to stop these people from coming in. There's problems. We got to take care of this. So, okay, we're going to create some sanctuary cities. You know what, people, we love you. Come here, come to our cities. And Trump is like, you know what? Okay, I am going to ship these people to your cities. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Our cities are full. If that is not the state of the party on the left, I don't know what is. First off, there's no crisis. All of a sudden, there is a crisis, and we're here to help. Okay, you're going to help. Here's some people. Well, we don't want to take care of actual people. We just want to say that we're going to help people. Is that not the state of the Democratic Party? They say they're going to help people, but at the end, they really don't care about people. Well, there, there is a lot of hypocrisy on the left, I would say. There's definitely some on the right, but uh, go ahead with bashing the left. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> well, oh, there's been hypocrisy since, for, since politics has existed, obviously, but you really see it more recently with Trump, with immigration, for example. And they're saying he's putting kids in cages. The photos that they used were under the Obama administration. So right, there was no problem with it before because you couldn't touch Obama. Exactly. And and Trump's policy he's deported less immigrants. Trump's policy has been in today's standards more liberal than Obama's was. And, right. And, and we've got videos with him. with with uh, Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton, and Hillary Clinton, and Obama saying, talking about the state of illegal immigration in this country. And now we have a president that's a Republican saying that he agrees with them, but their stance is anti Trump. So it doesn't matter that Clinton talked about uh, border security, it doesn't matter that Hillary talked about border security, it doesn't matter that Obama talked about it. It doesn't matter. They only, it, it's, it's like, uh, have you seen that movie Up with all the balloons in the house? Yep. You remember the dogs? There was Doug and he had like a cone around his neck. And mm-hmm. He said, Doug, I just met you and I love you. And he continues talking and he says, squirrel, and he looks away. That's the Democratic Party right now. They see something shiny and they jump on the next thing. How are we not still mad about uh, the oil pipelines? How are we still not mad about quote unquote, uh, black people getting killed by cops. Are we still not mad about the border crisis or whatever thing they've, they've had on their tips in recent, uh, in recent months, because they are just on to the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. I've got some friends of mine. They said they have been Democrats their entire life and their positions haven't changed, but the democratic party has changed. They seem to all be all about these, minority politics. And I would argue that the Republicans fight for the smallest of minorities, the smallest possible minority, the rights of the the one, the individual. 
the one that no one's fighting for, the single person and their rights. What do you think? Well, I, I think to your friends that said that they Democrat their entire lives, a J, JFK, if he ran today, he would be considered a Republican and they would probably call him a racist too. And I personally did not vote for Trump in the last election, but I do generally, my personal philosophy is a limited government, individual responsibility. Each person is their own. And we all have unalienable rights. Yeah, so let's talk about inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If an inalienable right is life, how can we have abortion or the death penalty? I'm, I'm with you with that concept. I agree with you. That's where the Republicans, somewhat hypocrisy, they're against abortion, but they're pro-death penalty. I'm a big fan of grace and I've made millions upon millions of mistakes and I'm probably going to make millions upon millions more. And when I mess up, you better believe I'm hoping for some grace, a little bit of forgiveness, a little, you know, whoops. Hey, don't worry about it, brother. No big deal. Let's get past it. And we have this group of people that make mistakes. I want to hold them accountable. Absolutely. But do I need to kill them? I don't, I don't know that that's true. In a an abortion as a as a taking life on the other end of the spectrum, I don't I can't envision a situation where it's okay to take that life. People are like, well, it's a fetus. Look, in in no circumstances is it going to be a cat, a taco, a brick. You are having a human. It is a human. It is a person. Hundred percent. There's not a chance it will be anything else. Right. Well, it doesn't, uh, it's not breathing yet. And I was like, so that guy on the iron lung, he's not breathing, right? The machine's breathing. Is he, can we kill him? Is that okay? Well, the brain function is not fully developed. Oh, that person in a coma, they're not, they're not a human. So we can just kill them. Well, you know, their hearts, their hearts not going. So the person on bypass, uh, that's, it's not okay. Or a person that has, you know, uh, a, I can't think of what's called well, pacemaker. I, the person with a pacemaker, you're saying they're not a person because something else is pumping their heart. Well, you know, what kind of life is it? I was like, so you're saying that anyone that's poor and in bad circumstance, we probably just shouldn't have around. Like what about, um, what about Oprah? She was born to a 12 year old mother. Are we saying because of that, that we, that Oprah should have been aborted? Are you saying about half the world leaders who grew up in poverty shouldn't be around because of what kind of life is that? You know what? I don't understand what they're getting at. Well, it was, it was rape. So one act of violence means we're going to have another act of violence. Well, he's carrying the rapist baby. Science has proven that the mitochondria DNA and the mitochondria are passed out unchanged from mother to child. That men and women both have the mitochondria of the mother. You are, the women are carrying their baby, not that person's baby. I don't have an argument that shows that abortion would be okay. So a large argument for the left is that 
it's the woman's body. It's her right to choose it. So I, I'm arguing What's, from their standpoint. Well, I mean, what does it do to their body? Uh, my my wife was born six weeks early. They have other babies that are have a C-section and this and that. Like, we have modern medicine, and they're not destroying their bodies. Yeah, they go through a change, but, I mean, I've seen Gwyneth Paltrow, and I've seen other people with children, and if you put in the diet and exercise and work, you can have whatever body that you want. Well, you know, I, mean, I mean, them my carrying... paycheck is my choice. If she has the kid and we're not together, is it my responsibility to pay for that kid? I didn't have a choice of where we kept it or not. Well, there's is it is it their child. body? Is it their body? Because it's definitely different DNA. It's not their DNA. It's a different body inside their body. It's not their body. All right, Dave Chappelle just did a comedy scale that he's he was saying. If we're gonna have abortion be illegal, the father should do a sign away any care for the child. I thought that was hilarious because it's somewhat true if you're making the argument that if a woman doesn't have to keep the baby she doesn't want to, and father has no say, then if she decides that the kid, he should not have a say. So, so. There's a lot of libertarians out there that say that government intruding on this, on a woman's right to choose is what they call it, is, uh, I guess, government intervention. It's government getting in on our personal lives. I, I don't agree with that, but what do you think? Well, let's look at the demographics of who's, who's dying the most. Uh, it's, it's poor black families, right? If you want to have an abortion, you know, I can't stop you, right? But that doesn't mean I have to pay for Planned Parenthood. Why on earth should a government paid for organization be able to turn around and then donate to candidates that are running? Yeah, I've always hated that. That was ridiculous. It, do, it, it doesn't make sense, right? That a government funded organization then turns around and has enough money to donate to a candidate that doesn't make sense have you have you seen unplanned yet unplanned unit unplanned it's a movie about one of the executive directors of planned parenthood i have not seen that i have not either it is on my list but i've done some reading and some other things so we're finding that even Early on, they're like, well, it's just, you know, a, a clump of cells. And these, these uh, Planned Parenthoods, they have people called frequent flyers, people that come in to get multiple abortions. And there's a little story in there about one gal who was a nurse there who decided to show the person the abortion. And what it looked like was a baby. Because you're not aborting a fetus, you're killing your baby. My, I have a family member that um, chose to get an abortion in their teenage years. And I understand their decision. You know, I love this person, right? This decision's hard. A few years later, maybe 10 years or more down the road, she got married to her husband, wonderful man. And they tried to start a family and 
they ended up miscarrying their, their child after they had told everyone. And it's a horrible, heartbreaking situation. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, we, we, we went up there and, and we loved on them and loved on their family. And, you know, she blamed herself. Like, did this abortion that I got 10 years ago, did it affect my ability to have a family? And did it, you know, did that change the body and prevent me from having this child? And was that my only chance to have a kid? And she doesn't feel like she aborted a fetus. She feels like she killed her baby. And it's a terrible, horrible decision. It's a terrible, horrible place to be. And I can't imagine being put in that place where I have to choose between poverty, extreme poverty, and killing a child. I, I, let's, 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 let's be real here. That's the real gravity of it, where you're in such a place where or that's something that you're considering, what a terrible place to be in, right? Fortunately for this person, she had a baby a year later, and they recently just had their second baby, and they have a nice little family, and it's wonderful. I read a study that said that 88% of women in the study, and asked if they would have the abortion again, said they would not something like seven or eight percent said they were kind of indifferent and only four percent said they would have an abortion again. If only four percent of women out of all the abortions that have happened would say they would do it over given the same circumstances would do it again and 80 some percent are saying they got it wrong. That's the stories we need to hear. That's the things we need talking about. But we don't have women talking about the abortion they had or the decision they made. We have political pundits talking about it. We have celebrities talking about it. We don't have these women talking about it. And I'm, I know it's unimaginably hard to have this discussion, but because they're not speaking, other people are speaking on their behalf and they're not being heard. So, well, I, I want to ask, do you remember which study that was? I, I would like to look it up later. If you don't, that's perfectly fine. I'm sure I could find it as well. I do not remember. I know that uh, over the last, uh, like a summer, a year ago, I downloaded and read through a ton of content. We had uh, my, my, my group of friends, we were, discussing, we were discussing abortion, and my opinion has changed from the start of those conversations to where I am today uh, quite immensely. I used to say that I believe there is a ton of way to have a good time, tons of ways to have a great time in the bedroom with someone that you care about, none of which can lead to pregnancy because uh, every time you have sex, you risk babies, you risk STDs, and you risk feelings. 100% of the time you have risk. There's no such thing as risk-free sex. I was like the, I was pro-choice. I said the decision become, you know, is made before conception. And after that, I'm pro-life. And I used to say that if you didn't get the choice, I would give you the choice. And I no longer believe that. I believe in life every single time. And I'm for responsible decisions. Absolutely. So, so do you believe it's a life at conception or like when there's a heartbeat? Is that when it's officially life or what do you think? It's a life at conception. 
right. you, know, you know, if we found if we found bacteria or microbes on Mars, we would say there's life on another planet. Wouldn't we? Yeah. We hundred percent would. So how can we not say that a fertilized egg is life? There is laws out there protecting endangered species, protecting their eggs, right? A fertilized egg for a bald eagle, for instance, I believe you can get punished for something like that. But yet it's okay to kill a baby in New York. Come on, people. Come on. How am I getting in trouble for cracking this egg over here of another species? But a freshly born baby, that's perfectly okay? What on earth are you thinking? So let's say you were a politician and you had to make a compromise on this issue. Where would you throw the compromise at? Or would you not? Or stand? I, I don't. I don't, I don't believe I could compromise. I would have to choose life. I would say no abortion, no death penalty. So, so do you believe the philosophy that it's better to gain three feet rather than stay at zero? Ah, so here's, yeah, that's the deal, right? I have the benefit of not being a politician. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? I have the benefit of not being a politician. Right? The, the politicians that are in charge, that are in these transition periods, that are working towards a solution, and they might have to take steps instead of one big jump to the end. Man, I do not envy these people. I do not envy them at all. If they are concerned in any way, shape, or form about their reelection, let's be honest, the vast majority are. Man, that is a tough place to be. I don't envy that position, but I don't, I don't see how it's okay to kill a child. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter is 16 right now, and I'm away from my family. I told her and I told her boyfriend that I do not want to come back as a grandparent. I'm not even 40 yet, right? Yeah. I don't feel like I'm ready to be a grandparent. I don't feel like she's ready to be a parent. I was like, look. If, it, if something happens, you do become pregnant, I still love you. And I will 100% help you raise this child. I prefer not to have one, right? Yeah. But don't, don't you be sitting there with your boyfriend in some dark, lonely place having to choose a life or not a life. I choose life. All right. So let's move on to just one final topic. Uh, healthcare. You for for or against the universal health care? What do you think we can change with the current system to make it better? So this is one area that, that I really struggle with because, right, I want people to be taken care of. I have fantastic insurance, and my wife has had 40 surgeries. No kidding, four zero surgeries. And I can't imagine where I would be if I had to pay for all those out of pocket or reach whatever kind of copay, right? or they have these outrageous premiums. I have family members that have insane premiums, $800, $1,200, $1,800 a month premiums. And how insurance works is you have everyone pay into a system and a very small portion use that system, right? But if we have every single person on healthcare, it's hard because there are millions upon millions upon millions of people seeking medical care every year. And we, we talk about Canada and different things, but the, the fact remains is we're the, the third 
most populous country in the nation behind China and India at 330 million people. And we talk about programs and the way they do it in England and this and that. Like, let's be honest, they have the population of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. It's easy for them. And we don't compare tax rates. Right now, you, you see this thing in, in California where you have people leaving in droves to go to Texas and Colorado and other places with smaller tax you know, uh, impact. And I don't blame them. California right now is trying to fix every little detail in everyone's life and not making people make their own choices. If I grew up poor and destitute and I can turn around and make substantial amount of living where I'm living more than comfortably, I can buy what essentially whatever I want and travel wherever I want to kind of whatever I want to. If I can come from literally nothing, foster homes and trailer parks, why can't these people make better decisions? Why do I have to pay for all of this stuff? You know what I mean? Um, that being said, how, how do we say no to taking care of people? But this goes back to the mental health and the actual health that we talk about teaching in high school, teaching in grade school, teaching finances in school. Why are we not teaching all these little things that help society? We went from teaching civics to teaching social studies. Civics is about responsibility. Social studies is about oppressed people. I don't know how we can, we can solve the healthcare uh, funding problem. I know that we should probably stop allowing doctors to get kickbacks from drug companies. I also don't think medical school should be so much. If we change the way we structure education in this country, we might have a chance something like India or Britain or Sweden, where that 16, they, they have been funneled into some kind of profession. So they're doing pre-electrician, pre-med, pre-law, pre-something. And by the time they're 18, they have two years in some kind of dedicated profession, whatever it may be. And so they're not going to med school for eight years. They're going for six years or five years because they've been prepared for such things. And we have malpractice insurance. We have all these different factors it's not as simple as saying yes and taxing the populace or which part of the populace we're not taxing. You know, if, if Amazon can run their company, a multi-billion dollar corporation and not pay any taxes on the year, that's wonderful for Amazon and the people that work there, but it's not wonderful for anything that is government funded. You know what I mean? If they're getting away yeah. with billions upon billions upon billions of dollars of revenue and they don't pay any taxes, they don't pay a local city, state. Yes, they're paying taxes on their buildings, right? They're, they're, they're funneling in somewhere. But if we're having federally mandated health care, that money's going to the feds. First off, I think the feds do a terrible job of spending appropriately, right? If you look at the Drain the Swamp campaign and see the government organizations that the, the Trump uh, uh, the Trump staff is is working through and, and working through indictments and millions and millions of dollars recovered that were used inappropriately. We we, we run a, a current budget system that says if I don't use all my funding in the year, then I get less funding next year. Well, what kind of part of that formula allows me to save money or look for a cost saving initiatives, or what kind of benefit I get for saving money? It's, it's zero. Right now in Oklahoma, there's something like five hundred some school districts, that means you're paying 500 superintendents. 
it has more school districts per square mile than Texas does, a much larger state. In what world do I need some kind of administrative office with fax machines and paperwork? Why are we not doing it digitally and having one hub in a whole state or you know, maybe a couple for these bigger states? We are just throwing money away in the government system. Government's the largest employer in the country. We are wasting money with 1950s systems and theologies, <laughs> or we could be using that money to actually help schools and help healthcare systems and help these people. We're wasting it on admin costs. George Bush, uh, was it Herbert Walker Bush? The son, I forget his initials. He essentially doubled the amount of money going into public education, but we don't have double the benefit. Where on earth is that money going? Is it going into the classroom? Well, I think the, gov the government waste, if we could clear up government waste, we could probably fund healthcare without raising taxes at all. Well, yeah, that's actually something that's, there's a study on it. I don't remember the study, I just remember reading it. How the amount of administrators per teacher ratio it used to be more teachers per administrator. Now it's like almost equal. What are these administrators doing? Everything is digital. You tell me your digital records take so much. Stop generating paperwork. My wife got a job at a hospital and the company that they used to hire people sent her an email that they wanted her to print out in color, fill it out, and then fax it back to her. I said, what is this, 1991? What are we doing here? I think she got hired two years ago, 2017. Like what, what millennia is this, that that is what the hiring practice is doing. This is, is, is bureaucracy run by people that are not in the digital age. I don't understand what they're doing. I've got, a, I've got my old high school and they've consolidated schools in Northern Minnesota. Every kid has a tablet. The whole school is connected on Wi-Fi they take attendance by someone putting their phone in a box and on the other side opens the door to their tablet. The tablets don't leave the classroom, right? Because paying for a tablet is cheaper than one textbook. Using open source education for free, right? For free means you're not buying textbooks for all these different classrooms. The textbook uh, mafia is ridiculous. You could get a company to donate iPads or tablets to a high school and run off open source. You've now freed up all this money that goes into textbooks and paperwork and other nonsense to use for teacher salaries. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I, you said it earlier, the government's not very good at a lot of things. What so, the government is good at, fighting wars, and what else? Not very much, and that's, that's, that's a problem. I think there's misspending all over the government. I think it was the Pentagon just two years ago, maybe it was just a year ago, they failed an audit. Like, where are these billions of dollars? We don't know. How do you not know where your money is being spent? Because there's there's no there's no system in place keeping these guys on track. That's you submit no a budget proposal. You, you you submit a budget proposal, right? 
and whether or not you follow that budget is one thing. But if you spend less than, there's no, there's no bonus program. There's no recognition. There's no, hey, we'll give you more in a few years. Thank you for spending your money responsibility. It's everyone is grabbing at this huge cash cow and getting every little bit they have. And if they back off for a second, they lose funding next year. What kind of way is that to, to run an organization? If you run a business like that, you'd be out of business. If you run a household like that, you would be broke and you'd be shameful in your, in your neighbors. Never your friends and family would be ashamed of you, right? But somehow we applaud it in government. Yeah, it's something that needs to change. I don't know who will change it or if it will ever change. But that's it. We've talked for, I believe, over an hour. Maybe an hour and 15 minutes. But. Well, we haven't even talked uh, tariffs on China yet. All right, let's do it. Tariffs on China. How do you feel about that? I think that they are getting a free pass. I think in the world community, they're getting to do whatever they want to. They are paying their workers literally nothing. They're getting free patents from the U.S. by AKA just stealing them, right? We manufacture a set of golf clubs in, in China. And they ship them out. Well, they keep all the dyes set. They put a different brand in it and they make the same exact club and they sell it on the internet as a knockoff for vastly reduced price. They didn't create it. They didn't engineer it. They didn't put any time, effort, or energy into it. But all of a sudden, they're making money on the thing they stole from you. Meanwhile, forcing their workers to live in horrendous situations, still making a dollar or two per day. And we're okay with it. As long as Americans get cheap stuff, we could really care less. China's still getting, as far as I understand it, they're still getting third country, third world status for the WTO for the loans that they're getting. How are they the second largest economy on the planet and they're still getting third world status interest rates? They're borrowing money left and right and no one's holding them accountable. They're buying up land all over the world, all over the, 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 the world shipping lanes, places like Djibouti where they're they're investing into these choke points so they can gather intel and other things without any kind of fun. Like, how are they being allowed to do this? They're extending their territory. They're, they're bringing in Bahraini engineers who have successfully reclaimed the ocean in certain areas to expand their tiny island. They're doing that in they're China. They're man-made islands. I saw that. that yeah. was... To extend their territorial waters to effectively cut off shipping lanes Trying to, they're trying to uh, choke out Japan and their economy. They're having problems with Hong Kong and, and, and Taiwan because they don't want to live that way. And they're treating their people terribly. Just human rights alone, right? Just human rights alone. The way they treat people should have the whole country in an uproar. But there's barely a squeak because if it hits my, I mean, so the way they treat patents they don't care, right? So if your iPhone gets manufactured in China, they can completely duplicate that. And I can't pronounce this, uh, Huawei or- Huawei, H yeah. Whatever, whatever, however you pronounce that company, they're essentially getting billions of billions of dollars worth of, of technological development for free because they're letting US scientists and corporations do it. And when they manufacture stuff in China, they just copy it. So they're stealing from Americans, first and foremost, which is a huge pain. 
they're creating this stuff to sell back to Americans at a fraction of the rate because they don't have to charge to make up the difference because they're cheating their way to the top. So most of that I agree with. I, I agree with you that at an international level, the US, UN, these countries have to stand up for their own, for businesses in their own country. Like China shouldn't have an Apple store that doesn't sell Apple products. They just do it because they can. Right. So where I kind of defer on, I think it's since their patent laws are different from our patent laws and our patent laws are different from the UK's patent laws, these businesses need to go to these countries and make a deal with them. So Apple has a deal with the UK where a UK country can't just steal or a UK business can't just steal the iPhone. So I think part of that is getting our business over there to do that. That may help the problem. I don't know. I'm not an Mm -hmm. expert on that specifically. When it comes to tariffs, I personally don't think that's the best route to go. I think at the end of the day, you're going to hurt mostly consumers when it comes to that. People who want cheaper goods, who want cheaper things. Businesses like steel, for example, that was the big thing in 2016. If it was cheaper to buy steel, if it was 10 bucks to buy steel from China and it's 20 bucks here, and then we put a tariff on China that makes their steel $25 and ours is $20. Those businesses that need steel are gonna end up spending more and it's gonna hurt that business more. That's definitely, I definitely agree with you in the short term, but in the long term, if we don't change the way we're operating, it's gonna be a far bigger problem. Whatever your business is, if you don't change, grow, or adjust with the times, you're going to fail. I had a a discussion with my dad about, I said, by 2040, I don't think they're going to, like minimum wages are funny, but minimum wage, we we should talk about that too. But uh, like minimum wage jobs, I'm like, they're going to be gone. And he he gets all upset. He's he's like, well, what are people going to do? I was like, people are going to have to bring skills to the table. the, The days of pressing a stamp machine and a manufacturing line, they're, they're going away. We have Amazon has stores where you walk in, you scan your app, you grab your whatever and you walk out. And because the thing is close to your body, it automatically charges your account. You don't need someone bagging. You don't need someone there to check you out. We already have self checkouts at most of these stores. Those things are no longer needed. The way of automation is taking over you're going to have to gain valuable skills to be effective in this new world. And if you don't gain them, if you don't change with the times, you know, the guy that went to school for to be a typewriter repairman that, that refused to learn about computers, man, he had a heck of a time. His industry went away with the invention of the computer. Yes, there's some, some typewriter nuts out there and there's a little niche right there, but the vast majority of them, they don't have, a job anymore. They now have to think of some other thing to do. And that's just the way it is. It's every industry is going to be growing, is going to be innovating, is going to be changing the way they do business. I see beer being sold in grocery stores. Like you can go get 
you know, a pint of your favorite beer and go walk around the grocery store. I'm seeing places that have coffee bars inside the laundromat. Things are growing, evolving, and changing. And when the price of steel changes, you might have to change the type of metal you're using in your manufacturing. And I know that's not a very helpful statement to the people that might be suffering from that specific thing. But you're going to have to change, adjust, grow the way you do business. So what do you think about the people who right now they will just say truck drivers. Truck drivers is one of them in the top five of jobs in the country. The risk of automation in the next 10, 15 years is very high for the truck driver job. So 10, 15 years from now, let's say someone's like 47, 48. Government retraining programs or learning new skills later in your life is becomes a lot more difficult. So what do we do about those people who are going to lose their jobs? It's a lot harder for them to gain new skills. How do we help them adapt? Well, I don't, I don't agree with your premise. I don't think it's hard to gain new skills. I think that if you don't use your time effectively, if you're not as a person constantly learning new skills and constantly feeding yourself with new information and constantly educating yourself on whatever the thing is, you're doing yourself a disservice. I walk to work. It's about a mile and a half, a little bit more than a mile and a half. And you better believe I'm listening to audiobooks for free on YouTube. I'm listening to podcasts. I am downloading some kind of content, some kind of a thing for me to learn a new skill. Those truck drivers that drive 12 hours a day, guess what? They have 12 hours of audiobooks that they can listen to at Automobile University where they're plugged into some other skill. If you are a one-trick pony, if you are a one-trick pony in whatever industry you're in, you have a severe chance of losing your livelihood. If you live in an expensive house, drive an expensive car, carry any kind of credit card, mortgage, student loan, or car debt, you're doing yourself a disservice. I know 2008 and 2009 hit a lot of people below the belt, and they were struggling. But I also know a whole world of people were making money hand over fist in 2008, people that are not. If you're carrying a boatload of debt, no matter what it is that you're doing, you are setting yourself up for a huge fall. It doesn't matter what industry that you're in. So I agree with you on the individual responsibility part, but unless we taught everyone that now, individual responsibility, always be bettering yourselves Obviously, that comes back down to schools and how people are raised and all that. But, but does it? I, I, I wasn't. Think, I wasn't taught any of those things. I wasn't taught about money. I wasn't taught about politics. I was barely taught about religion. I wasn't taught about sex. I wasn't taught about entrepreneurship. I wasn't taught about taxes. I wasn't taught about any of those things. But I have had the drive to whatever someone presents to me, I'd be like, you know what? I don't like that. That doesn't make sense. Why are they doing it that way? I've always had this curious mind. I'm out, I'm out in Bahrain right now, and I don't see a lot of Bahrainis working. What I do see is a lot of 
Indian, Pakistani, Bangladesh, Filipinos working on some kind of contract. They're making 150 BD a month. Uh, and what that is, is you know, translating to US dollars is like times 2.65. So these people are making 300 and $80, $90 a month, a month. And they find a way to send money back home to their families in whatever country they're in, because that's a better deal than what they're getting in their home country. How is it that those people can make it off a few hundred dollars a month and Americans can't make it off of 50,000 a month? It is not what you earn, it's how much you keep. I had a friend of mine, he's going back to the US and he's going to Virginia and uh, they're talking about buying a place or renting and what does that look like? And I was like, well, don't buy. And then, you know, it's got to be the right kind of, I'm not going to buy another place unless I'm making money off this place. And what we found is he was looking at a $1,200 a month rent in this apartment. And I was like, what kind of options do you have? What else can you do? And we found out that there was apartments for sale. You could buy your own apartment. Freshly remodeled, look amazing, great location. This amazing three-bedroom, two-bath apartment was $52,000. If you took out a 30-year mortgage, you'd be paying less than $400 a month. And he thinks he's going to rent out each room for probably about $500. What's well, $1,000 a month coming in, right? And he's only paying $400 a month on his mortgage. And if he puts that towards it, he can pay off his apartment, lock, stock, and barrel in just under two years. And he will never pay on a mortgage again on that place. He could live there for free if he wanted to forever. But we have this single family home dream in America and we have these people that were pumping out at whatever age, out of whatever school system, thinking that that's the dream. I'm gonna go from where I am to that being my only step. And I'm gonna lock myself into a mortgage for 30 years at 22 years old? What kind of nonsense is that? Why do we do that to ourselves? Why is that okay? Why is that the standard? Why is that cause for concern? The reality is, is in order to apply for scholarships back in the day, you had to know someone or you had to go to the library and check out these massive books and you had to call people or write them a letter to find out about it. Now you can download an app and you can apply for five scholarships before you go to bed tonight. You can now go to YouTube and listen to whatever books you want for free. Someone has taken 5, 10, 20 years worth of experience and expertise, and they have boiled it down to a 3, 4, 5, 10-hour, 15-hour book that you can listen to. Shoot, if you've got a commute at all, if you've got a half an hour commute, you get an hour a day worth of learning, and you can crush a book every two weeks without spending any extra time or money on it, but you're choosing not to. Which I agree with you there. And I, I guess what I meant more is I don't necessarily know your experiences, but somewhere in your life, you got the idea that always asking questions, always improve yourself, always work for better. Somewhere in your life, you got that drive or that mentality. But a lot of people in the United States don't have that mentality. A lot of people have that dependency mentality. They're dependent on someone else. They're 
they're dependent on their parents and they get dependent on government and they are, I don't want to say walking out with their hands out, but essentially looking for help. Well, how, here's how the question think, is, are, are these programs really helping them? I, I personally disagree. I, I, I don't think they're helping at all. But, okay. But so if they're not really helping, it? why are we really doing it? Out of some kind of guilt? We make these excuses? Like, let's like voter ID laws, right? Who the hell do you know that doesn't have an ID? How is it racist to not re require an ID? Who doesn't have an ID? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think that's the <laughs> most ridiculous <laughs> thing. But they're making excuses on behalf of a population trying to say, well, you know, blah, 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 whatever their excuse is. We're trying to make excuses for these people. And it turns out lowering the bar helps no one. Raising the bar is what really helps people. So how do you think culturally we change that in our society? We stop. What is, what is Zig Ziglar? I was listening to him. I forget what year he said, but sometime in the 80s. The, the top shirt in Japan says we're number one and the top shirt in the U S was something like slacker and proud of it. We are praising, we are praising laziness. We're not praising industry. We have a, we have a country that we drop nuclear weapons on. And they are among the leaders in about every damn category this planet has to offer. You want to talk about white privilege in America? Let's talk about yellow privilege. What group of people earns more money, has more degrees, has higher quality of living? Who has more doctors, more lawyers, more engineers than our friends from across the sea? Because they strive for perfection in everything they do. And I know it doesn't cover all of them, right? But when's the last time we praise someone for working hard? When's the last time we held standards? Do we just give our kids things or do we make them earn them? How do we train the people in our household? Yeah, well, like I said, it's a culture thing. I think we hey, need to start saying no culture. more. We need to start saying no more. Hey, can we do this? No. But I really am struggling. Cool. I will help you, but I'm not giving you what you ask for. What you're asking for is really not going to help you. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. Need over what you want. When I have, when I, my, my wife and I are, are those kind of people that we hold our friends accountable. When they come to us and they say, tell me what you really think, we tell them what they really think. And the ones that know us well understand that we're saying it out of love and we are course correcting our friends and be like, Hey man, you know what? You're asking this, you're asking for a pen. You've been messing up, man. You know, you have, and I know that's why you're asking and we'll help you get back on track, man, but you're messing up. The problem is we have friends that come home in this new Escalade that cost them $85,000 that they can't afford. And we say, you know what? Great looking car. It's going to be great. No, man, that car is way too expensive. You can't afford it. You're searching for some kind of status that doesn't exist, and this isn't going to get you get get you there. This car was a terrible buy. You need to get rid of it. But people don't want to 
stand up for what's right, what they believe in, what's going to help their buddy. They want to just be nice and say, oh, man, it looks great. I can't wait to ride around with you in it. That's nonsense. We're wasting our time being too nice. Be kind, be generous, but being just blanket nice is not helping anybody. We got to hold standards. We got to hold boundaries. We got to hold true to what's right. This yeah. is not a consequence free world that we're living in. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually, I used to do a podcast with a buddy of mine about just this exact kind of stuff changing your mindset, changing how society is now and how you can change that for yourself. And, and something that I feel like it, it's not taught in the home. That culture is being taught less and less in the home. That's why, like you said earlier, uh, Asian privilege, why Asians in this country do, are, so, <laughs> are so successful. Well, is it Asian privilege? Do we call Russians Asians? Do we call Middle Easterners Asians? Do we call Indians Asians? It's all Asia, right? Yeah, I guess. So, <laughs> so <laughs> but it, you essentially know what I mean. There's a culture. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just coming. I'm going to see a hard time. When in the U.S., that culture tends to be more strict on the family, are tend to be brutally honest, and you see results from it. And then you have other cultures in our country because it's we're a melting pot of cultures where you just don't see that. You don't see our, you see our democratic leadership, everything. Our democratic leadership dropped nuclear weapons on them and put them in internment camps in our country inside of the last hundred years. Do you hear any excuses from them? No, they put their head down, they do what they got to do, and they're whooping our ass. No, I completely agree. I, I think. Why is it that they can be successful, but people with other skin colors can't be successful? I don't understand that. How can we have a black president and black heads of state and black people in college? being professors, running business, and doing everything. But somehow there's a big chunk of them that say, we're not getting a fair shake. Your brother didn't get a fair shake, and they are kicking ass every day, making more money than I am, doing fantastic things. You don't hear excuses from them. I think the deal is, is you either see the obstacle or you see the goal. Zig Ziglar talks about uh, – a couple of brothers whose father was slave to the bottle. He was an alcoholic and one of the brothers was an alcoholic and he said, Oh, I see you're an alcoholic. Why is that? He said, my dad was an alcoholic. You see, I had no choice. And the other brother was the head of a fortune 500 company. He said, how did you get that? That's amazing. He said, you know, my father was an alcoholic. I had no choice. You see, they both made the choice. One chose to follow the example they were given. And one chose that no matter what happened, they could not possibly follow the example that they were given. 
but they both had the choice. Yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I I hundred percent agree with all that. So. I hate to cut it short. I know there's still tons more we could talk about. And <laughs> I would love to have you back on because you have tons of insight, tons of knowledge. I'm sure we got to do a part two in the near future. Sounds great. I got another podcast in 15 minutes, so I got to run myself. All right. So give your podcast another shout out before you head out and yeah, I'm still on the pre-launch. We might be launched by the time this episode is released. Look for the Nonprofit Architect on Libsyn. And I think we're going to try to get on 15 different platforms. So you should be able to find it on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and all those wonderful things. Nonprofit Architect, helping you build a stronger nonprofit. All right. Well, thank you, Travis, for being on the show. Uh, have a good day. And uh, thank you again. Thanks for having me on, Nick. It's been a great